WWVU-FM Morgantown, you are currently listening to Say Something Nice, the weekly music discussion show where me and my lovely co-host, Anthony, if you would like to say hi, Anthony. Hello. (laughs) We recommend each other an album that the other has not heard before, and then, as the title would suggest, try to say something nice about it. This week, I suggested to Anthony Plastic Beach by Gorillaz, and Anthony, what have you suggested to me? I suggested you Colossal Youth by Young Marble Giants. Excellent. And uh, we'll just uh, begin by rolling into to Plastic Beach first. So uh, Gorillaz is a project fronted by uh, Damon Albarn, who is the frontman of Blur, famously, and uh, Jamie Hewlett, who is most notable for being the cartoonist behind uh a lot of cult uh, indie comics, but more specifically, most notably Tank Girl, which was uh, fairly big in the 90s, gained a decent amount of notoriety. The band originally started as kind of uh, an ego death project for uh, the both of them. Uh, it was inspired after watching, uh, I believe the quote is specifically, too much MTV. Uh, and uh, Hewlett is quoted as saying, if you watch MTV for too long, it's a bit like hell. There's nothing of substance there. So we got this idea for a virtual band, something that would be a comment on that. So it is inherently trying to take the uh, uh, sort of public interest in an in artist's life specifically that was kind of culminating around that time and more strip that away from this music to make it... Uh, you know, at once entirely substanceless, but entirely focused on uh, the music. At least that's how I always took it to be. Uh, It's really just more an excuse for Damon Albarn to do hip hop type stuff uh, instead of, you know, the classic uh, Brit pop that um, Blur was known for at the time. Uh, This album specifically though, this was their third album to be released in, it was released in 2010. Uh, It was kind of a return to form for the band because paradoxically the, uh, the, the cartoon characters that made up the band uh, who I have not introduced yet, uh, frontman 2D, uh, guitarist Noodle, uh, bassist Murdoch Nichols and drummer Russell forget his last name. I do not believe 2D and Noodle have canonic last names. Very strange uh, group of characters. In any case, uh, they had grown to outshine some of the band's music through uh, award show appearances and MTV like little bumper slots. They, their characters had uh, grown to outshine the albums that they were attached to a lot of the time. So this album was uh, in a way, a return to form, making it more focused on the music. And Albarn was quoted at the time as saying, Gorillaz now to us is not like four animated characters anymore. It's more like an organization of people doing new projects. And that was uh, his ideal model at the time. Um, it's also the first album to have some kind of substance outside of the band's characters. It specifically has a theme of, uh, tackles themes of environmentalism and uh, the commercialization of pop music largely. So, uh, yeah, with that being said, Anthony, what did you think of Plastic Beach by the Gorillaz? Before we get too far into it, I think I am going to shoot some questions at you first, just to uh, kind of bring my understanding of both the group and this album up to speed a little bit. Mm. Uh, so it's headed by Damon Albarn. Yes. Are there any other instrument instrumentalists that are cited in the group? Um, 
there is a series of rotating uh, instrumentalists, I believe, to come in mm-hmm. and record. Um, but largely, the only consistent member, uh, at least at the time that this album was recorded, was Damon Albarn. I can uh, do a quick check to see if the track listing or personnel has any other... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there, there are a few other instrumentalists uh, added here, but largely it's being fronted by, by Damon Ar- Albarn. He's the one doing the brunt of the work for the band. Okay. And, then it's and there are no other consistent band members. Okay. Uh, so it's going. safe to assume that he's doing a lot of the songwriting as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That was something that confused the hell out of me because when I was looking at the lyrics, uh, specifically on Genius, so many of them were saying like, like the comments and stuff were talking about how it was written from like by like it was Murdoch's words and not 2D's and that was just so confusing for me because I yeah, didn't it, it is it is one of those things and and there have been multiple th- it's interesting for uh the fact that the band was started to strip the identity away from um anyone working just outside of the songs uh themselves uh they did flesh out the characters quite a bit and there was, there was always a consistent backstory mm-hmm. and there were stories told through the music videos. Um, and that despite uh, what was going into this record as being more of a uh, focus or, or focus less on the character characters as they existed uh, that did continue with this record. I remember at the, at the start of this album release cycle um, there was like a, 12 or so minute short film mm-hmm. uh, that featured no music and just featured like an update on how the characters had gotten to where they were at the start of the, the album release cycle. Okay. I think that is something uh, that has to be really enjoyable uh, for fans of the band being able to get super into kind of like, it's like the Marvel universe in a way, but just for gorillas and like all the, not necessarily lore, but just the storyline of the group and how it connects in each of their albums. Because I saw so many people like drawing connections between the storyline and the themes of the album. Uh, But as someone from outside the group that hasn't been exposed to any of that, uh, it was confusing whenever I tried to look into it a little bit, but I think mainly it just kind of took away from my enjoyment of the album a little bit because I'm not as immersed in it as a lot of the big fans are yeah i I definitely think that's fair to me the virtual identity of the band was something that especially as it went on and became ever more convoluted and uh prescient was something that uh always i I won't say that it detracted from it because i still love this album a lot um Mm -hmm. and and i do i mean I, i do have a great deal of affection for those characters and everything as I, cause I do think they're, they're uh, very well personified just in the bits that you gather from them throughout the uh, few times you hear from them, it, you know, the, the characters themselves uh, throughout the gorilla's history. Uh, but it, it is something that I do think watered down the albums and that people paid more attention to than they should have just because to me, it did always seem like kind of, uh, I hesitate to say an afterthought, but something that was running parallel and not something that was directly influencing uh, the music itself, especially as it went on. Like with this album, I think that there's very little of that influence unless you're really looking for it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I think uh, something that led to that too is this was the last Gorillaz album before going on hiatus. And a lot of the people uh, who worked on this project around the time seemed kind of burnt out. Uh, Jamie Hewlett said uh, around the time that he was just so effing sick of drawing those characters. <laughs> right. Um, so I think it was one of those things where, and there's a bunch of unfinished music videos for for this album. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that I feel like was on a different workflow schedule than the music end of it, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think uh, led to the story of the characters, as it were, being more rough around the edges than um, it perhaps might have had to be, and something that maybe takes away from the record if you're just trying to get into it as fully as possible. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, something else, like kind of going along that lines, I find it super interesting that it's kind of just like an art collaboration between Allborn and Hewitt. Uh, more than anything like above anything else that's what it is and like you said it's kind of not necessarily always super entwined but they run parallel to each other uh which i just find interesting it's just a way for both of them to uh practice their crafts alongside each other and kind of pulling inspiration from the same kind of things uh but i'm interested to kind of eventually maybe watch that short film if I can find it I'm sure it's not too hard to get a hold of um because I feel like that might actually enhance my enjoyment of this album a little bit uh because while there are definitely very strong and direct themes uh I feel like I expected there to be more of a storyline and maybe the does the short film kind of act as like a prequel kind of like setting up this album to help you yeah. really understand it a little bit yeah so the the short film does sort of how uh it, it acts as a 12 minute version of uh snoop dogg's intro like it introduces you to the world that the characters mm-hmm. are inhabiting um for myself like i i remember really enjoying it at the time it's been a while since i've watched it um i do in you know the little interstitial bits keeping up with where the characters are now is something that the gorillas have continued to do with most Mm -hmm. of their album rollouts in one way or another um and i am always interested in checking them out i think most of the writing for them is done by uh jamie hewlett who has a very unique and and idiosyncratic creative voice Mm -hmm. uh so it's always interesting to see where those those characters are at but um it (laughs) i do just think like as far as introductions go, it's much more efficiently done just in the uh, way it's done musically as in the first track of the album. Right. Uh, featuring one Snoop Doggy dog. <laughs> the top dog of them all. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'd be interesting to see that because... It's while, definitely worth seeking out if you are, if you are curious. Yeah, because while it's definitely efficient, I honestly was a little let down by Snoop Dogg's uh, intro. Not because it's Snoop Dogg and I feel like his output in general has just significantly decreased since about 1998. But, um, <laughs> but like, well, it also kind of leads me into my next question uh, in a bit. But I felt it just kind of lacked uh, anything more than just being like, this is the plastic beach. I didn't really get an idea of what the plastic beach was, uh, where the story was going to go, if there was going to be a story. Cause 
the whole welcome to the world of the plastic beach kind of sets it up to be a story but then i feel like the rest of the album kind of fails to deliver on that it's not a linear storyline more than just a collection of themes yeah and i think that's kind of the that's maybe if you want like a more direct storyline that is where you turn to uh and in that way this project is very much designed to be um looked at as a whole for me i just think the musical aspect of it tends to be more uh thoroughly fleshed out and therefore more enjoyable Mm -hmm. but if you look at it as a whole in the music you're getting a lot more of the uh thematic nature of everything whereas the music videos and the short films uh you there was also a a a website uh like point and click adventure game right i saw something about that on like my searches but i didn't look into it uh i remember spending just a lot of hours that summer playing that (laughs) um but there's a lot more story that you can get into if you desire to like if that if that's what you're coming to this album looking for yeah definitely seek out the music videos the uh if if you seek out interviews with the characters that's Mm -hmm. something that was done a lot around that time uh where they never reveal during those interviews who is actually being interviewed but they are speaking (laughs) as the uh as the characters of the band um There, there's always more to look into with this band. That, and that is the thing for fans of the band that is, it's like endlessly giving. There's a plethora of content if you yeah. really go deep diving. Which has to be absolutely fantastic as people, for people that get like super into this because there's just so much. And like, I, it's pretty comparable to the Marvel universe, I feel like, although on a much smaller scale. Because yeah, I, they have the direct storylines that you can get just from watching the movies. But if you go into the whole canon, it's ridiculous and it explodes and yeah and it's one of those fandoms that works on a on a similar level like it's it's like the the tumblr crowd kind of Mm -hmm. uh where um yeah and it's one of those reasons that i feel like the fandom has been that long lasting even though there was uh like i said a a decent length hiatus they they stopped making music or updating for around six years after the release of this album um uh, the fandom never fully tied down really at all uh, and you'll find if you'd search the web, just all kinds of fan videos and, and story updates mm-hmm. and everything on, on gorillas. Uh, so yeah, it's a very interesting project in that way, especially for a musical project to have that kind of a fan base. I feel like. Definitely. It kind of goes beyond just music and the cartoon aspect, or I don't want to say cartoon, but that animation aspect kind of uh, makes it very easy to draw parallels to like the comic book crowd as well. Yeah, Uh, But with that, I think we're going to take a short little break. So if you're listening to this podcast on any of our digital platforms, go ahead and check out some more great student-produced content at unitedtothemoose.com as well as Anchor and Spotify. Uh, But if you're listening live right now on 91.7 FM, U92TheMoose, we're going to take a short break. Uh, But we'll have more of Say Something Nice coming up next on U92TheMoose. So uh, moving on on from the universe a little bit and focusing a little bit more on the music uh, i was wondering for me uh the thing that stands out the most on this album is the features because nearly like 90 percent of the songs here or not quite 90 percent, but a gr- vast majority of these songs have somebody featured on them uh which for me was uh both the best part of this album 
but also to the album's detriment uh, because a lot of times whenever I listen to an album, there's usually like even across an album with a lot of features, there's typically a singular voice that kind of carries over. But having those features made it interesting because it took that away from me in a way. And while uh, 2D is the only singular singer that features across this whole album, except for Little Dragon and Bobby Wombach, who are featured on two songs each, uh, there's not like a singular voice that really pulls everything together for me, which was an interesting experience, but also a little bit uh, made my head spin to an extent because it was just, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think my major thing with this album is that I went in expecting, cause I knew it was a concept album. So I expected it to have a storyline for whatever reason, even though it's not necessarily a, it's a common touchstone in a lot of uh, concept albums, but it's not something that has to be there. But uh, I think expecting there to be a storyline and then having all of these different voices coming in and out on every single track uh, took that storyline that honestly isn't even there, uh, but it didn't allow me to even uh, put on to like a single narrator or anything. Yeah. I I think that's uh, very true. And it's interesting. This is the album that up until this point featured the highest number of collaborators they had worked with. I believe that their follow-up to this humans probably uh, exceeded it. Um, that album has it, it. That album was my my uh, point where I was like, "There's too many people on this thing." Um, this one, this one, I can handle because largely to me, the amount, uh, despite the amount of different voices coming into it, I feel like they all have a decent understanding of the themes that they're tackling here. Um, that keeps it relatively consistent from a lyrical standpoint. So even though you're not getting the exact same perspective or the exact same voices, you're hearing about the same kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I feel like on their follow-up to this, they didn't do as well or consistently, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I think that goes back to what he was saying, though, what Damon Alburn was saying during the making of this album about how he wanted the gorillas at this point to be sort of a collective of artists Mm -hmm. um, that he was just kind of, you know, just happened to be spearheading based on how the project was, was made. I think he would be just as happy to just play producer at this point in the band's, uh, in the band's life cycle. Um, But yeah, I do think that was an intentional choice to kind of take the spotlight away from the characters as much within the context of the album. Uh, based on everything that I was reading about the the creation process at the time, that makes sense. Um, and are they? Uh, is I'm assuming each of the featured artists is kind of just being told like, "Hey, this is the theme we're trying to tackle on this song. Do you want to write about it?" And it's some sort of collaborative <laughs> process between them and Damon. Yeah, I would assume so. Um, or. Even yeah, and I would assume that maybe even uh, Damon would get back their their verses and kind of write around them. Uh, mm-hmm. Perhaps there are some people that uh, you know De La Soul features on this project. Uh, 
uh, Damon Albarn has a pretty good working relationship with De La Soul. Okay. Um, even with Snoop Dogg, I believe as well. I think they have a pretty good uh, mm-hmm. working relationship through this project. But um, yeah, so I think it, it would vary from song to song if I had to guess. Uh, it's interesting. The process used to be a lot more collaborative because if you go back on earlier features, there are uh, guest artists who would comment directly on uh, what the characters in the band were doing, like on their one of their biggest hits, uh, Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. the uh, featured artist on there, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, uh, is within the context of the song playing a character, and he's commenting on his relationship to the other characters. So uh, this is the album that is the most far removed from that. I, I believe within the context of the album, there is no inherent mention of any of the characters, uh, which yeah, I not think that I is, caught on to. I think that personally is like one of the best aspects about the album because it's the one like you don't have to know anything about the band to enjoy this album. Right. Um, if you do, I think that that you know certainly helps it, especially if you're mm-hmm. into the the characters and story aspect of it. But it's not it's not a necessity as it in, is in other records of theirs. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and the people that they do like whenever i was i don't i don't even think so i didn't look at the track list too much the first time that i listened to it i was just kind of listening uh and i saw i was able to see that like snoop dogg was on the uh second second song proper first proper track first proper track but then as i was going through the two people that caught my ear uh and just coming from my own background you'll understand this were <laughs> marky smith and lou reed yeah <laughs> uh, on back-to-back songs too yeah which uh marky smith surprised me i didn't think he'd work with a group like gorillas lou reed is a little bit less surprising i think he's definitely has more of the collaborator spirit than marky uh, this smith. was I, I believe one of lou reed's last uh appearances yeah, before he did pass away i think so too um, uh, which i love his feature he is his voice sounds really good on it in my opinion yeah it's, it's one of my favorite tracks here uh definitely one of the standouts of the uh middle section of the album mm-hmm. um you know post empire ants uh section of the album uh but uh yeah the marky smith feature is interesting i i do think that gorilla specifically and i don't know maybe it's just the uh sort of creative freedom that the project gives artists that work with it um, they do have a tendency to get uh, features from artists, and especially on uh, on certain songs, uh, mixed features that you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let Me Out uh, on their next record features uh, both Mavis Staples and uh, Pusha T. Okay. <laughs> uh, so they, they uh, a unique combination of voices in the songs uh, as well. Uh, and on here, even, uh, you know, uh, Stylo featuring Most Def and Bobby Womack. Those are not artists that I feel like would work together <laughs> outside yeah. of this specific context. Which I heard uh, Bobby Womack was like, this was his first project, like anything that he had recorded in several years, whenever he yeah, did Yeah, and I think he too. sounds great on, on uh, the songs that he features on. Yeah, he really puts a lot of emotion behind what he's doing. And it was yeah. a really powerful performance, especially on uh, Stilo, Silo. I don't know how you want to say that. But um, on 
cloud of unknowing it's also it's super emotional uh and i really appreciate that appreciate that um i think we're gonna go ahead i'm gonna go ahead and give some of my closing thoughts here on this album um it was an interesting list and my first real foray into gorillas aside from their big songs like feel good inc and uh clint eastwood um and it's not necessarily that I thought I was going to enjoy it more. I didn't really know what to expect. I'd only heard a couple of Gorilla songs before. But I feel like this album kind of failed to keep my attention because uh, it's a lot of tracks. Uh, it's I always do kind of forget how uh, long this album is. Yeah, it's an hour long. And it's not even necessarily that it felt long, but it's a lot of songs. There's 16 tracks here. And I feel like usually whenever I listen to an album that's this long it uh usually has a lot less songs like no more than 10 usually which i feel helps keep my attention because it's just a lot to kind of digest with all the different themes because each one does kind of tackle a different theme on this too uh, with that said uh my favorite parts of this album were definitely a lot of the synth tones some of the textures that damon is able to create uh are really interesting uh, and some of the bass, like even though I'm listening on headphones, I feel like I can feel it uh, cutting deep into my chest and stuff. A lot of the sounds on here. And that's definitely uh, whenever I was able to focus more on the sounds, I was more into the project, even though uh, I expected it as a concept album to be more, not even necessarily linear, but to me, it felt a little bit unfocused uh, probably just because of the amount of features and the way that the songs jump around a little bit in feel and style. Uh, but I did enjoy a lot of the songs on here. Like we mentioned before, Some Kind of Nature is a really good uh, highlight here. And I enjoyed Sweepstakes aside from the chorus, but Most Def absolutely kills that track. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy Plastic Beach as well. Uh, and Pirate Jet was really good. And I think there's probably just a couple songs that I would cut. Nothing that comes to mind right now. Nothing really stands out as a bad track, which I really appreciated going through here. Even the ones that uh, weren't as interesting for me were very far from bad. And everything on here was at least a base level good making it uh, an enjoyable listen throughout. And I think if you're into this style of more interesting pop music than what you get uh, on any kind of commercial radio station, uh, and especially if you're willing to dig into the story here, you're going to enjoy this album and this group specifically as well. Yeah, absolutely. Just to... Uh... Before we, before we completely let go of mm -hmm. a comment on both the sound and specific genre comparisons, I think recently in pop music, there's been this kind of mono genre to arise yeah. that, uh, you know, borrows elements from a lot of things, but is never quite anything itself. Mm -hmm. um, I think this album is kind of the antithesis to that. And uh, Gorillaz as a whole, I think what makes them so interesting is that they do borrow from so many genres and, you know, just in their features, uh, and in the style of uh, music that they play, but I feel like they pay respect to every genre that they tackle on, or at least do something interesting with it, as opposed to uh, kind of bleeding the life out of it to make it 
as commercial and as safe as uh, as listenable as possible. Definitely. Um, and so that was that's what I've always really enjoyed about this band, uh, and what I hope that uh, people that listen to this record enjoy as well. Yeah, and I really got that out of it as, as well. Uh, the wide range of influences and how well they're all uh, mixed together, and they mix uh, hip hop really interestingly with rock in a way that a lot of people are unable to do. Yeah. Um, and some of the, I know I mentioned sweepstakes, like that song, like the beat is not very hip hop, uh, disp- despite uh, most deaf being on it and absolutely murdering his performance on that. It was fantastic. Uh, but the beat on that is super interesting. And then most deaf makes it even more just kind of like mind bending to listen to as well. I really enjoyed that. But uh, with that, I think we're going to go ahead and hear the song, uh, actually the closing track. I really enjoyed Pirate Jet. I think it was my favorite song on here, specifically because of like the slightly dissonant uh, synths and stuff that are present yeah. throughout that song. It was a really cool texture. Uh, but a lot of the songs on here are highlights, and it was honestly pick, uh, a bit tough. Pick a one to listen to. But here is Pirate Jet by Gorillaz on U92FM, and we'll be right back with some more of Say Something Nice discussing Colossal Youth by Young Marble Giants.
Welcome back to Say Something Nice. Uh, Griffin and I are swapping albums that we haven't heard before and discussing right now. Uh, we just finished up with the album Plastic Beach by Gorillaz, uh, and now we're going to go ahead and tackle Colossal Youth by Young Marble Giants. Uh, it is, Colossal Youth is the first and only album by uh, Young Marble Giants, uh, released in 1980. Uh, the group is made up of mainly Philip and Stuart Maxim as instrumentalists and Allison Staten on vocals uh, and an ex-member of the group, Peter Joyce, uh, created a lot of his own electronic instruments, including the drum machine that is featured a lot uh, on this album and across their whole discography. Uh, this album kind of really stands out from a lot of the more popular post-punk and art punk of the time. Just to give a little bit of reference, uh, Remain in Light by Talking Heads came out in the same year as this, uh, kind of showing the maximalist side of art punk at the time. And this really showcases the extremely minimal side of that. A lot of these songs are pretty much just a very prominent bass part along with some rhythm guitar, some electric organ, uh, and then Allison's vocals all on top of a pretty minimal drum machine as well. Uh, this lack of a drummer for me makes their music really unique, uh, even all the way out removed to today. While there has been a lot of minimal indie rock and post-punk, none of it really uh, hits the same way that this does for me. Uh, even 40 years on, it still sounds wholly unique uh, in today's field, despite having influenced a lot of modern uh, post-punk and indie rock. But with that, Griffin, what did you think of this? Yeah, it's d definitely a very unique record. Can I go uh, completely against that for a moment and say what it reminded me of at various points? Yeah, go for it. So it's interesting. At first, it didn't like. It took me a a bit longer than I'm proud to say to realize that I was listening to a post punk record, just because of the time that it came out. Like the post punk that was coming out around that time, like you said, sounded nothing like that. Even if you don't go to your extreme counter example, like Talking Heads, um, yeah, e even something that's a bit more more downtrodden or, or minimal, like uh, uh, Joy Division, you know, came out. Uh, a few years prior, I believe, if I'm uh, remembering correctly. Yeah, I think so. Um, it sounds so different <laughs> that uh, the first thing that came to my head uh, in, when comparing it to records from around the same decade, I was thinking of like other very minimal releases. Uh, the first things that came to my head were like Suicide um, yeah. or even uh, Daniel Johnston at points. Mm -hmm. There's a track specifically that cuts off very abruptly. I was like, were they recording on tape? I was very like, <laughs> very interested. And, and the use of uh, like chord organ is a very, very Daniel Johnston thing. Um, but more recently, uh, as I was listening, there were moments that reminded me of uh, Kate LeBon, specifically uh, the EP she released uh, toward the end of last year with uh, Bradford Cox of uh, Deer Hunter, um, which I think takes on a bit more post-punk influence than her work tends to. Mm -hmm. um, and the drum machine, which I 
it was very unique and i'm glad to know that that was intentional because i was like i could not place where the hell those percussion sounds would even be coming from like i did not know what they could have done it was clearly you know either drum machine or casio drums or something but it was Mm -hmm. so uh uh brutalist uh and and uh distorted that i was like i don't know what they could have done to this to make it sound yeah this way. Well, so to know that it's wholly unique is is interesting yeah peter joyce who wasn't in the group anymore whenever this album came out i don't think uh mm. it was he actually made the drum machine it was homemade uh so interesting yeah and i'm pretty sure that they had recorded his drum machine onto tape and then used it for these songs that's so why it well it, first i do want to say that uh the drums reminded me of like uh tobacco uh production mm-hmm. uh tobacco of, of black moth super rainbow uh specifically his production on the um his aesop rock collaboration mm-hmm. that came out either last year or the year before everything blurs now <laughs> but uh um uh in any case i was going to say that that's such a unique way to to make an album like this and uh it's interesting because it's not lo-fi at all like it sounds like they recorded in some sort of studio for most of it um but the fact that they they came into whatever studio they were going into saying you know we we recorded this guy's (laughs) homemade drum machine and that will be our only percussion for the entire record is insane to me (laughs) yeah i agree and i mean it makes it uh, interesting to listen to. I mean, even like you said, it's uh, hard to pin down what that is without... Yeah. Like, it's obvious that it's not real drums, uh, but it's also not something as sophisticated as a like TR-808 or something. Right, it's, it's like no other drum machines that were being heard around mm-hmm. the time, I would and say, easily. To... In, like to kind of go on your point, it was recorded uh, in a studio at Full Studios near Welshpool in North Wales. Uh, but the group did not have like any production knowledge, which is why it's so simple. Uh, and many of the songs on this album were from the band's first takes on the songs. Uh, and there's very few overdubs overdubbing and i'm pretty sure the only two are the couple of slide guitar parts on include me out uh as well as the distorted vocals specifically on eating not a mix so this album was self-produced then i believe so yeah that see and just knowing this much about it it makes me uh, enjoy this album so much more because a lot of my problems with it were that the the playing on it and everything uh, and the vocals and everything on it was persistently competent. I wouldn't call it amateurish, but it's, uh, it's, it feels a intentionally simple and the way it's produced, I I felt like often to me left something to be desired. The songs sound like very hollow consistently. Um, That's something that I personally enjoy about it because there's nothing that I've ever heard except for this, that just sounds so empty. Uh, But that's definitely something that I understand can take away from the enjoyment. Right. I don't think I'd mind it so much if it felt like the songs, or if it felt 
as intentional as it ought to feel for yeah. it to do it this consistently. <laughs> it feels like a sound they just stumbled upon on accident because there's nothing uh, on first brush, at least with the album, there's nothing within these songs that should lead it to, to feel that way sonically or, or mm-hmm. that uh, make it that, that add to it. Uh, or, or there's nothing in these songs that is heightened by it uh, sounding like it does. Mm-hmm. Um, it does make it more unique for sure. But I just, cause I, I want to like this album so much more <laughs> and I do like the record. I don't dislike the record at all. I do find it to be a wholly unique listen and not uh, at all really super inaccessible at the same time. Yeah. Um, like the only thing that stops like a track, like uh, uh, what's the second track on here? Uh, one moment. Yeah. Include me out. The only thing that stops that from just sounding like a classic rock track is the lack of drums. Um, the very uh, strange and subdued vocals and the, uh, and the, the production. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, and it does make it more of an, a unique listen, but it just makes it a listen that I will come back to much less at, uh, than I would if it were produced more, uh, I suppose, uh, classically or um, uh, more akin to what was being produced in the post-punk genre around that time. For sure. Uh, We're going to take a short little break. So if you're listening to this on any of our digital platforms, you can check out more great student-produced content at our website, u92themoose.com, as well as on Anchor and Spotify. But if you're listening live right now on 91.7, U92themoose, we're going to take a short break, but we're going to keep on discussing Colossal Youth by Young Marble Giants on Say Something Nice right here on U92themoose. I did want to say the uh, the lead singer. What was her name? Allison. Allison. I really enjoyed her vocals, and I I assume that she is also the songwriter. Um, no, she's actually. Not. Oh no. No. That's interesting. Uh, it's actually Stuart, one of the instrumentalists, and one of the brothers in the band. Oh, okay, that is interesting. But um, I feel like I guess just because her the way that she voices these lyrics feels very specific and very uh, intentional. I would assume that, that she was the writer, but that makes it, that does make it more interesting that she chose to, because uh, her vocal style is very strange for the time. Like this album came out in 1980. Um, it's the sort of sound that I feel like you would hear much more in the nineties or even in the modern indie scene. I feel mm-hmm. like um, you hear vocals such as hers a lot more. Um, it, it even uh, at points reminded me her voice reminds me of uh, the lead singer of Always who we talked about you know a few weeks back on this show um, but uh, the uh, thing I was going to say about that is that I wish th- that's another thing that makes me wish that the instrumental was slightly less minimal because she's very intentionally doing this kind of uh hushed sort of subdued vocal it sounds very pleasant but it doesn't draw me in like uh, a band like suicide can can get away with being so minimal because they're just absolutely going insane on those tracks Mm -hmm. uh this one i i wish that i had the urge to uh pay more attention to what it is that she's 
saying because the lyrics that I did pick up on were very interesting. Um, and is where does this band hail from? Also, I think Wales. Wales. Okay, because I got like a vaguely European-ish uh, accent on uh, on mm-hmm. a couple tracks. Um, yeah, they're from Cardiff. Okay. Yeah, that makes that doesn't make sense. I also uh, something that I found unique about this album were the ways which tracks end. They don't end abruptly every time. Like they don't just cut off, but they do mm-hmm. kind of like there's like a little Seinfeld bass line. <laughs> it's like, it just looks like a a, a, a dibbly do bit, and then, and then it cuts <laughs> off. And I was like, it was something that was. It made me laugh a couple of times <laughs> just because it was like, that's not, it's just not a thing you do a lot in your serious, uh, uh-huh. you know, sort of uh, experimental uh, post-punk group. <laughs> and that was a thing that there were a couple different sounds that reminded me of like more classic rock than what was going on in the post-punk scene at this time. Um, you know, big bands around the time were, were, like you said, talking heads who were starting to incorporate um elements of of world music more into theirs so to hear this kind of or at least what sounds to me uh, especially i guess uh between the uh consistent uh instruments that are used you know it's mostly just guitar and bass driven with some some chord organ and uh, some slide guitar it feels very like classic rock to me especially on the guitar end of of things yeah um, especially uh, something that kind of contributes to that feel for me is how, uh, since the bass is so prominent, it's very kind of like riff focused music. Yeah, that, and that is a thing that you get a lot. I feel like in classic rock specifically, Absolutely. more so than most other genres, at least. Um, it is one of those albums that feels very. Uh, it like nineteen eighty is. It's still fairly early for the post-punk genre. Talking mm-hmm. Heads released their debut in 77. Um, Joy Division was late 70s. You know, the new wave uh, and post-punk was uh, a genre that was in its uh, sort of salad days in the late 70s and, and sprung to prominence by the early to mid-80s. So it's still pretty early in that genre. I wonder how influenced it was by, or, or how influenced the band was by their contemporaries, just because it feels so, it feels like they came upon similar sounds mostly by accident, um, because they're done in such a different way than most bands were doing around that time. Yeah, um, definitely. And I so agree. I don't know if you knew anything about how, like, the, the scene that they were a part of around the time. No, I haven't really seen... Uh, much about their stuff aside from the fact that I know they were influenced by uh, kind of uh, um, like dub reggae, which makes sense with the prominent use of the bass and also Mm. kind of correlates into some groups that were around at the time, uh, post-punk groups. Like I know... The Clash famously influ- was influenced by a lot of reggae on like London Calling and stuff. But uh, for some lesser known groups like the Slits uh, really pioneered that kind of dub punk sound as well. Uh, but I know that uh, they were also influenced by uh, some 
like experimental rock, uh, like German experimental rock around the time. Uh, pretty much the stuff that a lot of that post-punk uh, and art punk was influenced by. You got like Brian Eno, Kraftwerk, uh, Velvet Underground, uh, Bowie, Can. Yeah, there are some parts of this album that are very Kraftwerk now that you mention it. It's, it's like condensed Kraftwerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Kraftwerk extended a lot of their songs to be, you know, five, uh, four or five plus minute long. Um, I don't think there's a single track on here that's over four minutes. Uh, yeah, it's a lot no. of the, the album is 15 tracks. It's only 38 minutes. It's a pretty breezy listen. Um, to me, also where this album works the best, it's when it's sort of more beholden uh to if not i I would hesitate to call it like a pop format Mm -hmm. but i would call it like when whenever they feel like or it reads to me like they're trying for something a bit more accessible like the the songs that they would peg as their like crowd pleasers i guess Mm -hmm. um or on a song like colossal youth that has like a very playful you know the title track on here to me has like a very kind of playful energy in the way that the Bases interacting with like there's these like uh the synth stabs that go off, um, and I think that's the only track that has both synth and guitar on it. Uh, if memory serves, I could be wrong about that, um, but I remember that standing out to me at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not certain because I think it is uh, Stuart, yeah, Stuart who plays both guitar and organ, so I don't think they show up too much at the same time, right? I, I kind of presumed that because they, yeah, they really don't show up much at the same time but i think that might have been one of the tracks that was overdubbed with uh slide guitar or something mm-hmm. um because i remember that song sounding a lot fuller uh in the mix it also might have just been like a slightly different style of mixing if they were just kind of experimenting with things um uh but yeah it's definitely as a whole it's well, I don't know if we're, we're quite to, to wrap it up <laughs> yet, actually. Um, though, do I have much else to say? Yeah, I mean, if, if you just want to go back straight into closing, that's fine. But I do kind of want to just comment about mm. uh, the fact that, um, like you said, it's a very hollow sounding, which uh, is interesting to think about, especially whenever you consider the fact that they have all the parts that make a full band. They have drumming or a substitute for a live drummer, at the very least. They have guitar, they have bass, and they have vocals, yet it sounds so empty as a whole, uh, which is something that I don't like. I've never been able to really pin it down what it is about the way that it's produced that makes it just sound uh, like there's nothing there. It sounds truthfully like it's just people with their amps turned down or something like in your living room playing. It feels sort of demo quality ish mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time, but yeah, it, it is interesting. Cause yeah, I was struggling to pinpoint that as well. Like I said, a lot of the instrumentation is just like tried and true rock stuff. Um, so the fact that it sounds that unique, well, just, I, that's kind of an accomplishment in and of itself to, to <laughs> stumble upon something that's that unique using just the, the, the classic formula of, you know, yeah. guitar, bass, drums, vocals. Um, 
I do like the only thing that I could even pinpoint a little bit is it is that lack of uh, traditional drums mm-hmm. uh, and specifically how odd the the drum sounds on this album are um, because like around the time you know seventies eighties that was when I feel like drum machines were hitting their their peak usage in popular music Definitely. so it's not even too odd to hear a drum machine from a from a record around this time but just uh, the one here, it, I was not surprised at all to uh, learn that it was uh, entirely uh, unique. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, it sounds any, uh, unlike anything else that uh, was happening around the time. And I think it might be partially because while it is a substitute for drumming, this drum machine in particular, I feel like uh, the way that it's used is almost sounds kind of just like a fancy metronome. Like there's not... I don't know if there's even like a bass drum feature that gets stood in on this album. And I wonder if that's kind of what makes it feel so hollow, even though the bass is very deep on a lot of these songs, it doesn't have that bass drum kind of backing it up and supporting everything. Yeah. Very. It's, it's very much in the, uh, on the more trebly end of the spectrum. (laughs) Uh, and sometimes it just sounds like they're leaving a metronome running in the background. Yeah, it, that, that is something that makes the percussion very unique on this album, too, is that there are no beat switch-ups or anything that happens. No. Very, they, they plug it in, they play over it, and then the drum machine has done its job. Which, I mean, yeah, and I think that's another thing that makes it sound very demo quality. These are, it just sounds like the most well-recorded demo <laughs> I've ever heard. Because the, the recording is very... Uh, competent they were recording on decent equipment mm-hmm. um i would presume like it everything sound nothing gets lost here everything sounds okay um but the uh yeah j- it it feels like these are songs to be more fully fleshed out and uh i do see at least on apple music there is a, a live album from this band and i would wonder how these out al- how these tracks are performed in a live capacity if they're um, at all expanded upon or if they do just have the drum machine uh, sort of you know playing those parts yeah. I'm thinking it's probably pretty similar because I think in the studio a lot of it was for the most part just live playing yeah yeah I mean I wouldn't doubt it and plus I'm sure fans of, of this album would be mm-hmm. heartbroken to hear it any other <laughs> way really uh, because it is so so unique uh, in what it's giving you that if you come to it for those sounds and then go see the band live uh, and it sounds just completely different, mm-hmm. you'd probably be a little upset because if you take that away from it, this is just like a pretty good post-punk record. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'll say about it. Like for as many quarrels as I have with it, and I probably won't be revisiting it a ton. It is definitely unique um, to that genre uh which having a unique post-punk record in like the 80s height of post-punk i feel like like i said definitely an accomplishment (laughs) yeah um if we are sort of entering closing thoughts sure uh this album as a whole was definitely worth listening to just because i found it so confounding at various points in a way that I didn't quite expect. Every time I would think that I got this album's number, I would be uh, taken for a left turn, which is interesting because it doesn't feel even like that's what they were trying to do. It doesn't feel like they were actively trying to challenge the listener, really. 
it feels like that's something that they happened upon, which makes it all the more interesting to me. Um, uh, and yeah, it's, it's definitely something that I recommend, especially it's short. It's not too inaccessible, um, especially if you're a fan of post-punk and, and the early sounds of post-punk uh, when bands were uh, experimenting and in, in what all they could get away with. This is definitely an album to check out. And uh, if you are interested, definitely stay tuned because I think we're going to be playing the title track from it. Uh, my favorite track, Colossal Youth by uh, Young Marble Giants, right here on U92, The Moose. Oh, wait, um, actually. Before wait. we go away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry about that. So uh, I am big busy, so we're going to be taking next week off. Uh, but in two weeks from now, uh, we have a special program coming up, which Griffin, if you want to expand upon that a little bit, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, so it's it'll be a special edition of Say Something Nice in which instead of uh, recommending each other an album that the other has not heard before, we are going to do an album that we uh, both can speak on from the same or at least a similar level of expertise. Um, I think we'll be doing episodes like this semi-frequently uh, to just give us... Me and Anthony, I mean, we, I'm sure you've... It's a uh, lot of work. It is a yeah. lot of work. <laughs> yeah, um, you've been listening. We do have uh, albums or sorts of albums that one of us favors to another, but uh, we do have a lot in common as well. So there, there's a, a, a treasure trove of albums to visit that we have both uh, listened to. And uh, that's what we're going to start doing uh, during the next episode, which will be in two weeks. And the album that we're going to be listening to around then will be uh, Childish Gambino's Awaken My Love. Uh, interesting little record, to say the least. Uh, we I have, have had some conversations. takes on this. <laughs> yeah, we've had conversations about it before, I guess we'll say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I hope you tune in then. And I hope uh, y'all have a great week, etc. I hope you enjoy the song <laughs> Colossal Youth by Young Marble Giants right here on Unity 2 The Moose. Thank you.